Hi there. I'm Robin Anir, and you're listening to a special lockdown edition of Nothing on TV, the podcast in which I ransack Trove Newspapers, the National Library of Australia's fabulous and free digital repository of historical newsprint to bring you stories from a time when there was literally nothing on TV. As I say, this is a special edition intended as a distraction, for me too, during lockdown. More than usual, you'll be hearing me read extended grabs from the old papers because the circumlocution of the text, as printed, is the main point of this story. Here's where it starts, or at least where I'm going to begin. Imagine you're scanning the amusements column on the back page of the Melbourne Argus for 22nd of September, 1855, and your eye lights on this. Mr Denning's Monday Evening Select Quadrille Assembly Protestant Hall. It is to be understood that a vulgar style of dancing will not be permitted. In decent society, the accomplishment of dancing is considered to consist of attitudes of gracefulness and elegance, and not of a wild rushing through the ballroom with the arms thrust out and the back bent double. That any girl with the least pretension to modesty should consent to participate with the gentlemen exhibitors of the offensive style alluded to is astonishing and disgusting. Mr Denning will never suffer his assembly to be perverted to a mere casino, and any lady attempting the use of the practice referred to will stamp herself as an unfit visitor to the assembly and will be refused admission. That was the advert in its entirety, occupying a couple of column inches, and remember, this was the amusements section. The ad offers almost nothing in the way of wares or whens or why fors, just Monday evening at the Protestant Hall, you'd better behave yourself. Now, the deprecations of Mr. Denning, Cornelius Peter Denning was his name, but he went by CP, the deprecations of Mr. Denning would have been hard to avoid if you were a regular reader of the Argus during the mid 1850s. Certainly, I've run up against them many times in the course of researching other things poncho cloaks, the Cremorne Gardens elephant, whatever, and suddenly there's Mr Denning, upbraiding the reader for something most of them haven't done or even thought of doing. His ads appeared weekly, if not more often, and the remarkable thing about them is that no two were the same. He had something new to say, something new to complain about mostly, every single time, and his voice was unmistakable, bombastic, priggish, scolding, self-appointed and single-handed, he was the ballroom police, drawing the line and holding it between respectability and the common ruck. Now, before we go further, what exactly was a quadrille assembly? Something like a square dance, only more genteel. Quadrille was danced by four couples in formation. It was an invention of the early 19th century that formalised the traditional country dances. The steps of the quadrille by the 1850s would have incorporated elements of the waltz, polka, mazurka, and all the variations thereof. I've looked at a few mid-century dance manuals, and I noticed some quadrilles called for props, playing cards, chairs, a handkerchief, or a mirror. But you can bet there was none of that kind of tomfoolery at Mr Denning's select assembly. No siree bob. And remember, the ad insisted that his assembly would never be perverted to a mere casino. This casino wasn't a gambling venue, 
well, perhaps it was in some back room, but this was a public dance hall as opposed to one like Mr Denning's, a select assembly, which meant by his rules. And what do we know about Mr Denning? Well, besides that he was a bit of a galah, not much. It seems that he arrived in Melbourne from London around April of 1852. He was said to have been master of ceremonies at Vauxhall Gardens, the prototype of the pleasure gardens like Cremorne that would spread to the colonies. At the time of London's Great Exhibition in 1851, Vauxhall Gardens boasted a dancing platform big enough to accommodate 2,000 dancers and the most complete quadrille and waltz band in England. Now, April 1852. The Victorian gold rushes had broken out in earnest only about six months before that, and word of their celebrity, in the shape of six ships carrying between them eight tonnes of gold, hadn't reached London until December 1851, so that Mr Denning must have been in the very first wave of gold rush immigrants to Melbourne. We can only imagine his horror at what he found there. To a fellow so bound by decorum, the licentiousness and disorder that characterised Gold Rush Melbourne must have been like a descent into hell. Perhaps he never recovered from the shock, but he was determined in any case to raise a portion of high moral ground above the morass and to defend it, whatever the cost. His select quadrille assembly was held every Monday evening at the Protestant Hall, which stood then at the southeast corner of Little Collins and Exhibition Streets. Only Exhibition Street back then was called Stephen Street. The Protestant Hall, built in 1848, was the opposite number of St Patrick's Hall in Burke Street West. Both were beacons and mustering points for sectarian feeling at a time when such feeling was never far from the surface. Several murderous street riots resulted during Melbourne's early decades from the provocations and clashes of Protestants against Catholics and vice versa. Most of the time, though, the Protestant Hall was just another venue for hire, for classes, meetings and dances. Mr Denning had exclusive use of the hall every Monday night for something like 22 years. Now this, I'm pretty sure, is the first time Mr Denning's voice appears in the Melbourne press. The date was the 24th of May, 1852. The heading, Victoria Assembly Rooms, Protestant Hall, Stephen Street. The want of a room in Melbourne in which an evening's recreation can be taken has long been felt by the public, which has induced the lessees, that is the people leasing the hall, has induced the lessees to open the above noble and spacious rooms for evening assemblies. They pledge themselves that nothing shall be wanting on their part to ensure the respectability of the company, the efficiency of the orchestra, or the choice selection of the dancers. They purpose that each evening's entertainment shall consist of a variety of popular dancers divided into two parts, with an interval between the two for refreshments, which will be provided on the premises at moderate charges. The assemblies will commence this evening, being Her Majesty's birthday, and be continued till further notice. It has all the hallmarks of Mr Denning's suck-up grandiloquence and pomposity. The following week we read that The success of last Monday was beyond the most sanguine expectations. The ladies and gentlemen who attended on that evening speak in the most flattering terms of the Master of Ceremonies, i.e. Mr Denning himself, who, having recently arrived from England, was specially engaged by the lessees who, regardless of expense, have succeeded in engaging his services permanently. The lessees, therefore, 
having the greatest confidence in the public from the distinguished patronage on Monday last, beg to inform their friends that their earnest endeavours shall be used to secure all the available talent that can be procured in this city in order to render the band the most efficient quadrille band in Melbourne. The advert went on to stipulate that dancing commences at eight punctually and terminates as near half-past eleven as possible. A fortnight later, the lassies begged to inform the ladies and gentlemen of Melbourne, Collingwood and the surrounding neighbourhoods that their endeavours to secure the most fashionable attendance and to render their entertainments the most select in the city have been eminently successful. It is their intention to continue their inimitable soirees and they beg to impress on their patrons the necessity of an early attendance in order that the dancing may commence at the specified time. These repeated mentions of the lessees tell us that Mr Denning wasn't yet running the assembly on his own terms, and the programme of the evening's dances is further confirmation of that. They included the Royal Mazurka, as danced at Almax, that was a renowned London casino, and the Radoa, a bohemian round dance that combined waltz and polka at quick triple time, an ungenteel proceeding that, as we shall see, was not at all to Mr Denning's liking. We learn, too, that our Master of Ceremonies has intimated his intention to commence dancing classes as soon as a room sufficiently commodious can be obtained. We're still in June 1852, a time when colonial Melbourne was unravelling, overrun, as they used to say, by horny-handed diggers and relatively few women as a counterbalance. Vis-à-vis the quadrille assembly at the Protestant Hall, we read that the lessees would beg to impress upon gentlemen who may be induced to visit the rooms not to mistake these meetings for a public casino, the characteristics of which, such as a vulgar style of dancing, entering and promenading the rooms with hats, sticks, cigars, etc., will not be permitted. And further... The absurd practice of gentlemen dancing together and other inconsistencies are prohibited. And to rectify such inconsistencies, any gentleman paying the price of admission was at liberty to introduce two or more ladies. Already, Mr Denning's patience was fraying, you can tell. At the end of June, the assembly was advertised as open this evening for the last time. But it and he went on at least until the second Monday in August, with a full-dress ball, an evening of cheerful and rational enjoyment under the superintendence of the able and obliging MC whose engagement then terminates. But in October 1852, he was back, evidently having shaken off the old lessees and running the Monday night quadrille assembly on his own terms. Now, interestingly, a Dr O'Toole launched a rival select quadrille assembly that same month on Friday nights at the Protestant Hall and was at pains in his advertisements to state that he had no connection with the Monday evening lessee, the querulous Mr Denning. For his part, Mr D, now calling himself the proprietor, found it necessary to state that continuing its quiet course and desiring only to solicit the patronage of respectability, the assembly will be announced by the respectable channels of the public press and not by any street placards. The respectable channels of the public press meant, essentially, the Argus. This is where his windy weekly adverts invariably appeared, at a cost of around £150 per annum. In those days, as now, it wasn't uncommon for the papers to run editorial puff pieces promoting regular advertisers, 
but not in Mr Denning's case, it seems. Over the course of the 1850s, I could find only two grudging promos, running to just a couple of lines each, in return for Mr Denning's loyalty to the Argus. This was one, from 1854. As one of the best numerous dancing rooms of the city, it deserves patronage. Mr Denning has always conducted his balls respectably, boom boom, and has generally contrived to get such company as will conduct themselves so too. It's hardly what you'd call a wholehearted endorsement, is it? But Mr Denning's moral strictness, you'd have to say, seemed at odds with the idea of amusement. His ads are studded with such unenticing words as efficient and rational. In early 1853, he was appealing to patrons for their undeviating maintenance of that gentlemanly order and deportment which offer the surest guarantee and inducement for the increased attendance of respectable females. Good luck with that. In March 1853, we find that gentlemen introducing ladies will be required to vouch for their respectability, and any objectionable female obtaining access will, upon recognition, be ejected. And to that end, both the recognising and the ejecting, police were now regularly in attendance on Monday nights at the Protestant Hall. It is also plainly intimated that the hall will not suffer the disgrace and presence of quarrelsome, boxing and fighting men, and parties indulging in such propensities had better betake themselves to more congenial resorts. It must have been considered quite a sport to disrupt the decorous tenor of Mr Denning's quadrille assembly. I wouldn't mind betting that wages were laid on Lark's design expressly to provoke one of Mr Denning's burns in the Argus. And it wouldn't just have been the aforementioned horny-handed diggers, though I'll bet the Monday night quadrille assembly featured as a pit stop for more than one diggers' wedding. These weren't actually weddings, well, not usually, but rather were a euphemism for a night on the town with a wedding party of mates and hired ladies, all expenses paid, carriages, clobber, dinner, booze, show, sex and lodgings by the digger who'd struck at the richest. But no, it wouldn't have just been Lucky Diggers who flouted Mr Denning's rules. There were also those rascally remittance men, recalcitrant younger sons of well-connected families, shipped off on a one-way ticket to the colonies. These were the types who'd originated the Melbourne Club, and pretty much immune to the law, used to amuse themselves with hijinks like soaring through veranda posts. Imagine what a godsend Mr Denning's high-toned assemblies must have seemed on a quiet Monday night in Melbourne. In April 1853, Mr. D. announced the last night of his select quadrille assembly. Henceforth, it would be a private subscription assembly of an entirely exclusive character, limited to families of known respectability only. The idea was that admission would be by a monthly subscription, ensuring there'd be no riffraff through the door. But evidently, there weren't enough takers. I can't imagine why. And so Mr. D. soldiered on from week to week. And from week to week, he harangued and admonished Melburnians through the amusements column of the Argus. Like this. His arrangements, in order to ensure selectness, will continue unabated. Any visitor attempting to introduce an objectionable party will never again be admitted. Admission is restricted to the female members of respectable families and to gentlemen having the sense to conduct themselves properly in their presence. Gentlemen are expected to appear in evening dress and not in white coats, etc. It is expected that none but the supporters of order and propriety will visit the assemblies, a select, 
rather than a promiscuous attendance being Mr Denning's object. At the end of 1854, he found a new axe to grind. At his select classes in ballroom dancing, Mr Denning declines teaching the valse à deux temps, this was a waltz at double time, and the gallop, that was a lively round dance of German origin. These dances, if indeed they deserve the name, are rapidly destroying the distinction between the respectable ballroom and the public casino. Families of the highest respectability in Melbourne, he said, deplored the exhibition of a respectable girl in the hands of that nondescript biped, the fast gent, with arms thrust out, rushing through a series of gyrations expressive rather of incurable insanity than of the refined elegance of the ballroom. The obtrusion of the deux temps into the quadrille is an absurdity and a vulgarity too obvious for comment. Except, of course, that Mr Denning could not resist commenting, advertising his assembly, it is requested that the admirers only of purity of style will attend. The valse à deux temps and gallop, with their repulsive accompaniments, are finally expunged from Mr Denning's programme. How they got there in the first place is the mystery to me. Mr Denning's campaign against a vulgar style of dancing brings us to the item that began this podcast from September 1855. Soon after, in consequence of the culpable conduct of certain gentlemen in having introduced objectionable females, again, it became imperative to adopt an exclusive mode of admission. In future, no lady visitors will on any count be admitted but by presenting a card with Mr. Denning's signature thereon. The cards were duly printed and ready for issuing to respectable females. Mr. D's advertisement that week, still listed under amusements, was solid gold sanctimony. To those gentlemen who have taken umbrage at this arrangement, Mr. Denning would observe that their own conduct in introducing improper persons has precipitated it. They cannot be ignorant of his long-continued struggle amid unbearable annoyances to maintain the respectability of the assemblies. The turn of a feather would induce Mr Denning to abandon the assemblies in disgust, notwithstanding their popularity. Gentlemen will observe that smoking will not be permitted in any part of the hall. A few weeks later it was the respectable females who came in for a tongue-lashing. Those ladies who, with characteristic thoughtlessness, have already lost their admission cards are requested to apply this day for renewal or they cannot be received. At Christmas 1855, he announced his annual fancy and plain dress ball, but noted, masquerading nonsense will not be associated with it. Evidently, a masked ball did not comport with Mr Denning's notions of respectability. A year or so earlier, he'd taken an extra ad in the Argus, in reply to an anonymous communication requesting him to hold a masquerade, Mr Denning avowed his decided objection to offer any such entertainment. In February 1856, we read, It is necessary once again to request the discontinuance of certain offensive peculiarities occasionally attempted, such, for example, as a wild rushing movement in setting and turning of partners. This is not dancing, but suggestive rather of a windmill or steam engine in convulsions. The depressing difficulties experienced in rendering the assembly a suitable place for the presence of respectable female visitors ought to be borne in mind, as also the fact of its accomplishment by efforts entirely unassisted 
indebted to no newspaper reports, nor even a friendly line or notice. Indeed, I note that the Argus, which was so sparing with praise and perks for one of its most prolific advertisers, was nonetheless quick to stick the boot in on the rare public occasion where Mr Denning's moral authority seems to have spectacularly failed him. He was a leading light in the local branch of the Grand United Order of Oddfellows, and when they held a ball, he'd be the MC. The Argus, on this one occasion, objected to the public house bar arrangement, which was so disposed as actually to front the sole entrance to the dancing room, with nobblers and bottles of ale dispensed to all who tendered payment. As to the outcome of all that nobblerising, the Argus reporter would only say that what occurred after two this morning at the Oddfellows Ball must be left to the imagination. And the blame was laid squarely on Mr Denning, who, upon all occasions where he has had the management of the ceremonies, has done his utmost to preserve decorum, but here was utterly at fault. He advertised himself in 1857 as C.P. Denning, Professor of Dancing, offering private lessons in La Varsoviana, a variation of the Mazurka. As his qualification, he cited that he'd been a pupil of Daubert, Solarius, Coulon, etc. These were celebrated European dance masters, and all three had published manuals of ballroom dancing in the 1840s. I can't help but wonder whether perhaps it was their books he'd studied though he had been in roughly the right place at the right time to have been taught by the men themselves. It was as a dancing teacher that Mr Denning remained a fixture at the Protestant Hall right through the 1860s. He employed assistants to teach calisthenics and deportment, and one of those assistants, Harriet Obard, ended up marrying him. She was 32, he was 67, and when he died five years later of dropsy, the papers noted that Notwithstanding his years, he would, in the performance of his duties, skip about as nimbly as the nimblest of those he taught. Not only that, but I was surprised to read he was much liked by his pupils. Nothing on TV is homemade in my Verlin Heights studio in Castlemaine, Victoria, Australia, and is produced by the bulletproof Mrs Bradley, my literary agent and muse. Feel free to drop me a line via Mrs Bradley through the email link at my homepage, robinanear.com slash nothingontv. Like me, Mrs B is feeling a bit sluggish just now, so you won't find much in the way of pictures and further reading related to this episode. But we'll post a link to an online edition of Coulon's Handbook of New and Fashionable Dances, written by one of Mr Denning's supposed teachers. It provides detailed instructions on how to do the Varsoviana, as well as the unspeakable Valsa de Tom, and many more dances of the day. Just the thing for lockdown. Feel free to smoke and wear a white coat while you give them a whirl. You can download past episodes of the podcast at the show page, or else at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. You can subscribe and have new episodes drop as if by magic into your podcast feed. Also at the show page, you'll find links to Trove newspapers and other resources that'll help you delve into Trove's marvels for yourself. Just in case, you know, there's nothing on TV. I'm Robin Anir. Talk to you next time.